Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mace, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Susan Thrasher, and she'll be answering your questions on Music City Fly Girls. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Susan a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on the right side of our web pages, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and also hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now while you're listening to the show and share the knowledge out there amongst your friends. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing businesses ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking about with Susan Thrasher about Music City Fly Girls. Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dweller's Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9744. That's Lee's ferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Susan, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away for tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Susan's section that says register for our free drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Susan's latest book, Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide. And here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that Susan and I talk about during the show. So just submit your answer along with your name and location in that text box on our homepage. It's the same text box used to ask questions in during the show. So listen closely, take some notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win Susan's book, Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide. Our guest tonight is Susan Thrasher. Susan started fishing at a young age with her dad in East Tennessee and has been passionate about the outdoors all of her life. In 2004, she started Southern Brookies Fly Fishing, a guide service and instructional school based in Nashville, Tennessee. She left a successful engineering career in 2015 to venture into the business full-time. Her passion for fly fishing led her to serve as co-founder of Music City Fly Girls 
a women's fly fishing group, and to serve as the Middle Tennessee Retreat Leader for Casting for Recovery, a program focused on breast cancer survivors and the healing nature of fly fishing. Susan credits most of her teaching success with an experience gained as an instructor at the Joan Wolf School of Fly Fishing, where she has been on staff for the past 15 years. In addition, she's been a certified casting instructor through Fly Fishers International and has taught hundreds of students the art of fly casting. She's the author of Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide, published in May 2020, and Susan currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee, just a short drive from her beloved Caney Fork River. Susan, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Oh, thank you, Roger. I appreciate you having me tonight. Yeah, good to have you. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit different tonight. We're going to talk really about a unique club that Susan helped found, and I'm real interested in the all the details, and we've got a bunch of questions for you here, Susan. So let's dive in. But first, we did read a little bit about your background and your bio tonight, but I'd like you to kind of expand upon that. I think you said you learned from your father fishing. When did you start fly fishing? Was he a fly fisher as well? Well, no, Daddy wasn't a fly fisherman, and he still really isn't, even though I've tried to teach him a little bit. But back in, I want to say it was the late 1990s, maybe 1998 or so, my dad's a retired pastor, and one of the members of the church, Robert Shiver, he said, I'd like to take you and Susan fishing if she comes in. I was living in Virginia Beach at the time. And so I borrowed some waders, and Robert gave us a quick lesson in his driveway before we got in the South Holston River. And, you know, I hadn't taken any lessons before, so my dad still tells me today, Oh, I'm so sorry for it. You were awful. You just slapped the water and were trying so hard to get that line <laughs> out there. But I still, I just loved it. And I remember really working so hard that day to try to catch a fish. And towards the end of the day, I'll never forget how I had this little soft tackle that just, it was swinging right up underneath a bridge pier. And right at the end of the drift, I caught this small rainbow trout. And it was one of the most exciting things that happened. And I remember coming in that night and telling my mother, I think this changed my life, honestly, because I loved it that much. I was just struck with just the beautiful surroundings and all the gear. And then just especially the feel of that rainbow trout at the end of the line and how I could just feel every little movement. And I just knew this was going to be life-changing. And it ended up being that way. <laughs> Being that way, yeah. Did you, at that time, obviously that the person was a Shriver, you said, introduced you. Did you have a mentor after that, or how did you learn after that to improve your skills and so forth? Well, at the time, so I was working as a civil engineer with a company that's based out in New York named Parsons Brinkerhoff at the time, and I was able to travel around quite a bit on work assignments. And I ended up, this was after a couple of years of fishing, I ended up on a long-term project out in Salt Lake City in Utah. And not too far from the job site, I could get to Heber City, which just outside of Park City, Utah, it's um, right on the middle Provo. And so even though I was allowed to fly home on weekends back to Nashville or to Virginia Beach at the time, a lot of times I chose just to stay out for the weekend and spend it right there on the middle Provo. And I ran into a fellow, his name was Jim Smith, 
And he pretty much took me under his wing. You know, he saw me on the river and asked if I'd ever fished there before. And I said, no, not really. And he goes, well, follow me. I'll show you a few good spots. And he ended up, he fished there quite a bit. And so it seemed like any time I was there, he had his truck parked and he would offer some tips. And he was the first one to show me how to fish under a strike indicator and how to swing a soft tackle. And Anyway, he was probably my very first mentor as far as really taking me under his wing and introduced me to a couple of women that the names of some women that I absolutely had to get to know, he said. And that's what really started me down my fishing career. And later on, you a question from Phil McCartney in Kentucky came in here, and he said, can you describe how you became an instructor at Joan Wolf School of Fly Fishing and the training you had there as part of the school and some of the memorable experiences you had there? That somewhere along your journey, you met Joan Wolf, right? Yes, well, that teased that up perfectly because the two women that Jim actually told me I needed to somehow meet or to get some instruction or go on a guided trip with, one was Laurie Ann Murphy huh? that was out in Victor, Idaho that ran Real Women, and the other was Joan Wolf. And so, you know, I, I was so new into fly fishing, I had no idea who these people were, never heard the names before, never <laughs> dreamed that I would ever meet these legends in the fly fishing world. But I ended up scheduling a trip. I went out. I actually had a guided trip booked with Ann and went through the Real Women guide school out there and so did get to spend quite a bit of time with her and I credit her in really helping me she helped me to learn to row my clacker craft I sat right in her in her guide seat and they're real women the school and just learned how to read the water and how to row so that's where I got that instruction but then after that I signed up to go through a casting class at the wolf school that's in the Catskills of New York And then immediately after the casting, I went through the instructor school, which was a wonderful experience. Pretty nerve-wracking because at the time, Floyd Frankie, he was the director along with working with Joan. And at the instructor school, part of finishing the school is you you can choose whatever cast that you want to teach, and you basically teach it with Joan and Floyd watching and critiquing every step of what you're doing. And that was one of the most nerve-wracking experiences probably of my (laughs) life to have to go through that. But evidently I did okay and passed because I got a letter soon after that asking if I wanted to come back and be an intern, which I was able to do for a couple of years. And then they invited me to come back and be on staff after that. So, yeah, I'll be heading on back again this year, which I'm excited about. I'll be teaching a couple of classes that this year if the classes fill up, which it looks like they will be. And so, yeah, that's been one of the highlights, I guess, of my career in teaching is getting to know not only Joan, but her son, Doug, and daughter-in-law, Vicki, and, and then all the other guides that are there. We have six total instructors not guys, but instructors that are on staff. And it's really like a little family. When springtime rolls around and we have the Wolf School classes, it's exciting. We don't see each other much during the rest of the year. So to get there and to visit, and it's just like a family 
reunion <laughs> when we all get together in the spring. So it only happens, the classes only happen one time a year? Well, and, it's, and uh, no, there are multiple weekends, but it's April through the end of June. And then later in the fall, there's another instructor school. But there is a calendar, and they're opening, they're, it's open now to sign up. So if anybody's interested in looking that up, it's, uh, you know, if you just Google the Wolf School, you'll be able to see the calendar and the sign-up possibilities. Yeah, and so you go out there for a select, what, a week or two and teach, and then and that kind of fulfills your requirements for the for the year, for the work um, school? Yes, well, our director now, Sheila Hassan, will send out a message to all six of us guides and ask what, because each of us, you know, guide on our own in other parts, whether it's up in Vermont or New Jersey or Dennis is in Pennsylvania, and so wherever we're located, we have our own, you know, schools or guide business, and so what we can fit in for those schools, we kind of set up our schedules that way, and this particular year coming up, I'm going to be available for two different sessions, and year to year, it differs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, and thanks so much for giving back <laughs> to everybody else, that's nice, yeah. Well, good. Well, let's start talking about the Music City Fly Girls. What is the Music City Fly Girls? Well, um, I'll, start, <laughs> I'll start quickly. I'll start quickly at the beginning, I guess. I had donated a, a fly fishing trip to one of the local, it was called the Hendersonville Fly Fishers, uh, right outside of Nashville. And there was a woman that bid on the trip and won it and called me up. Her name was Nikki Mitchell, and she said, hey, I've I won this trip that you donated, and I want to go ahead and book the trip. And so I scheduled it with her, and she and her friend Cindy Denham showed up, and I picked them up in my craft, and we started floating down the Caney Fork River. And we probably weren't 15 minutes into the float when we started talking about women and fly fishing and how neat it would be to have some kind of, you know, a gathering where women could get together there in, in Nashville and have a fishing buddy, a fly fishing buddy, and just learn about fly fishing. And so that was in August. And so by the end of the trip, we had come up with all kinds of ideas, Nikki and I had, on how we were going to start this club. And so we met together the next week for lunch, kind of mapped everything out, made some notes, and we offered our first meeting on October the 15th, that was in 2007, so we're approaching our 15th year, actually, of being wow. in existence. And we had 15 members at that first meeting, and we have we've just been going strong ever since. When we first started, we would just meet there at Nikki's office, and we had a dinner, and then we would just kind of gather and just talk about fly fishing. We talked about what we wanted to do with the club, how the trips that we would want to go on, the types of meetings. But one thing that we all agreed on, and I know you asked me about this question, but we all agreed that we didn't want to have a club where we had any kind of drama. And I can say this since I am a female, but a lot of times you can get a lot of women together, and maybe it's the same with men, but I know for sure it happens with women. And the next thing you know, somebody's saying something about somebody else, and then and there's all kinds of this chatter, and then inevitably somebody gets hurt feelings, and then you get taken uh, aside, and we didn't want any of that. So we, at the beginning, we just said, look, we want to have a club where we all come together, 
and we can travel together, we can share fun experiences, but we don't want the drama. And we truly have been able to to rise above that for these 15 years. That doesn't mean people don't occasionally get their feelings hurt and or you know somebody gets aggravated or wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and but you know <laughs> we apologize and we get over it and everybody you ask anybody in the club and they'll say we pride ourselves in really trying to work and think of the golden rule <laughs> and yeah, it's worked yeah. it's really it has yeah. worked for us i think men work a little bit differently we just we self-deprecate and then we deprecate each other directly <laughs> all, all, in, all in fun, right? I mean, it's like, you know, well, that cast was terrible that you just made, you know. <laughs> but it's but guys take it differently. Their feelings aren't hurt, and it's like, well, expletive back to you. I experienced that firsthand. I played volleyball in college, and I remember watching one of the men's basketball practices, and a couple of the guys got into an argument during practice, and they were cursing at each other and threw a couple punches. And, and then we got to dinner, and we were all eating dinner in the same cafeteria, and I saw the guys over there. And they were all sitting together having dinner, laughing, joking. And I thought, you know, yeah. if that had happened in our volleyball team, we'd be going through counseling, and there would be, you know, <laughs> sessions to, get, to work through our feelings and yeah, oh, so yeah, I guess yeah. you all handle it differently. But anyway, yeah, we handle it different. above it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't you want it to want it to be a fishing club, not a uh, a rumor and <laughs> yeah, exactly. a passing club yeah, exactly. and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good enough. Well, let's take a quick break here and come back, and then we'll dig more into how the club has been built and so forth, and we'll take it from there. So hang tight, and we'll be right back. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook all within a few miles of each other, but you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. And once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, his son Marlon Leslie and their other hand-picked guides know the local waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit charlielesleyflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. Again, visit charlielesleyflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Susan Thrasher about the Music City Fly Girls. If you'd like to ask Susan a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Susan, let's, um, let me just double check to see what we've got here. Oh, okay. We're going to save this one for a little later. This is more about instruction. Somebody asked a question here on the Internet. We'll come back to that here. And um, so how many members do you have now? Is it strictly a local club, or have you expanded out of the area? I would say most of our members are from the Nashville area and some of the smaller areas outside of Nashville. We do have several members from North Carolina and East Tennessee that come in 
or and even we have a member in a couple members actually in Memphis or the Memphis area. And so we probably keep a roster of about 55 to 60 members, you know, at oh, this wow. point. Not everybody, not everyone joins in on all of the trips and outings or the meetings. But at one time or another, we're going to see everybody, you know, at some point, yeah. at some outing, you know. Yeah, yeah and, that's uh, a good-sized club. So yeah. we have our dues, and our dues have never gone up. They've been the same ever since we started back in 2007. Um, it's $60 to join for the year, but I joke with people and tell them you get your money right back probably after even the first or the second trip, you know, that you go on because the way that we try to do it is we keep our trips as low cost as possible. Being an all-women's group and fishermen, we just try to bunk up together when we, we go places and we have a cabin or a hotel or whatever. You know, people don't mind sleeping two to a bed, and I know the people that don't like to do that, and I'm able to assign rooms, and I know the roommates, the people that like each other, especially stay in rooms and stuff together. And so we're able to really save a lot of money that way, but the club subsidizes a lot of things. Like if we're staying in a cabin for several days, the club will supply all the groceries and everything so we can eat in. If we have, like one time when we went to the San Juan River, we flew into Albuquerque, and then we rented a big van, and we've done this before where we've rented several cars, and the club just picks up the cost or a majority of the cost of the vehicle. And that that's wow. a pretty big savings for folks. So by having the club subsidize things, we can go on some really terrific outings for a pretty small amount of money, <laughs> really. I can tell you yeah. some of the trips that we've gone on and give you some of the ideas of the cost that I think it'll, yeah, it'll yeah, we'll really get to surprise that. you. Yeah, that's really interesting because I didn't expect that the club would pick up any of it. Uh, I just figured everybody was paying their own way, but that's incredible that you're able to, to generate enough funds to do that. Was there a purpose for the club other than just camaraderie? Did you, did you have a goal for the club initially? Well, I guess two things. When Nikki and I talked about it, number one, we wanted it to be where there was a group of people where if you had a day off from work and you wanted to go fishing, you had a roster of people that you could call up and say, hey, I'm going to be out. You want to go along with me? Just so you'd have a fishing buddy. And then mm -hmm. so the camaraderie definitely was one. But another thing, we wanted to find some way as a group that, that we could give back in some way. And after our second year of being together, we discovered Casting for a Recovery, and that's it's a, a retreat that helps women that have had breast cancer. And it's a three-day retreat, starts on a Friday, ends on a Sunday. And not only are the 14 participants that join in taught about fly fishing, but it's also an opportunity for them to share the experiences either that they're currently going through or that they have gone through, and so it's an encouragement for all 14 that are there. We have a psychologist that's one of the volunteers for the weekend and also someone that's a nurse, oncologist, and can actually talk through some of, some of the issues they're experiencing. And then it's capped off with a really wonderful day of guided fishing on that Sunday afternoon and a celebration lunch. It's all, all the costs are covered. By through donations, and so we raise the money uh, throughout the year and put on the retreat 
each year. It's a casting for recovery is a nationwide organization, nonprofit, and there are retreats, you know, in many states across the country. We just happen to be the one doing it in uh, Middle and West Tennessee. There's also an East Tennessee retreat, but the Music City Fly Girls are the main leads and sponsors for pulling those retreats together. So that was our second goal, Music City Fly Girls, and yeah, we've done that. This will be our 13th retreat that's coming up. This year it's going to be in November. Oh, wow. Wow. That's really terrific. Yeah. Well, good. How would you – now, I, I don't know. Have you ever been a member of any other club? Uh, I was going to say, how is it different um, from oh, other yeah. clubs? Or, you know, how – could you explain if, yeah. you know, how you do things differently than maybe a standard Trout Unlimited club or something? Oh, sure. There. So when I first moved to Nashville – I joined Trout Unlimited, which was a great group. It was very, very active at that time. In fact, it's the way that I learned about casting for recovery. Wanda Taylor out of North Georgia had come and given a talk that you probably had Wanda on the show before, but she's given a talk on or had given it on casting for recovery, and I got so excited and went back to the Fly Girls to tell them about it. So at the time, I was a member before the Trout Unlimited club kind of dwindled down and that was dormant for a while, very active in that club, and also the Middle Tennessee Fly Fishers. And I guess some of our main differences is we don't really, we don't have a board. We have a treasurer. She takes care of all the money. Nikki Mitchell and I were the co-founders. Nikki, unfortunately, several years passed away with uh, pancreatic cancer. and Oh, we miss her dearly. But so I've kind of taken on the head honcho responsibility. In fact, one of the Music City Fly Girls nicknamed me or gave me the title of uh, Benevolent Dictator. And so I guess I just uh, I lead the way. <laughs> uh, but, there, you know, I, I have found with our particular club, and I'm not saying this is it's going to work this way for everyone or every club, but I'm passionate enough about fly fishing and the trips and all the outings and the meetings that I really enjoy taking on the task of planning our meetings, planning our trips, and, you know, just organizing things. And, you know, I, I'll just throw it out there in an email to, I have an email distribution list. And, you know, I on after Christmas or during the Christmas break, I typically will just sit down and you know, say, okay, what do I think we'd like to do in January? You know, it'll be cold. What should we do? <laughs> Let's have our freeze out maybe in February. We'll go someplace, that, you know, around locally. And so we usually have kind of a freeze out or what we call fireball. And then just go through the different months and try to plan some trips and some local outings and also some outings where we actually have to travel to a distance. And we had, well, up until 2020, we had monthly meetings, and I would bring in speakers from other guides. I did a lot of the speaking myself, just instructional type, came up with different presentations, whether it was on Euronymphing or fly selection. I really enjoyed doing those. I was doing it for my Southern Brookies uh, school anyway, so I had those available and provided that to the group, but also brought in folks from Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, the Army Corps of Engineers, TVA, just different speakers, you know, locally from around, and would just ask a lot of times the club members, what kind of topics would you like to hear about? And I would just reach out, and sometimes some of our own fly girls would go and 
on a reconnaissance trip, you know, to a certain river, and several times they would come back, and that would be our meeting. You know, it would be a fact-finding trip, and they would talk about mm-hmm. that. I guess those are some of the differences. We have kind of one lead pulling things, organizing together. We have a treasurer, and then a lot of great members that just do a lot of stuff during the outings that we have. What are some of the local outings that you do? You said you would pair up people just to go fishing, but anything specific on sure. as groups that you do in your local area? Yeah. Yep. So it, there in Nashville, we have several tailwaters that are within maybe an hour to an hour and a half drive from the heart of Nashville. So in the summer, in July, we do a trip to the Elk River, which is near Lynchburg, Tennessee. So if anybody's familiar with Jack Daniels, it's right around that area. So we usually we go, and there's some really wonderful cabins, the River's Edge, that are right on the Elk River. And so we'll either stay, before those were built, we'd stay in a little town of Tullahoma and take our kayaks, and we'd have a two-day float and have dinners together the first night and then go out for a big Mexican dinner on our final night. But it was basically just get up in the morning, get your kayak, float down the river several miles, and eat dinner, and then do it all again the second day. And those are very inexpensive. I have quite a few kayaks that I've collected over the years. I'm a big Jackson kayak fan and can load, I don't know, 14 or 15 on a trailer. And then other people have their own kayaks that they bring along. And, yeah, we just have a a big Mm, group floating and fishing on the river. And because we're using a lot of the kayaks that I have and others have, some people have two kayaks and they bring those along. And people are bunked up four to a room. The uh, club's supplying all of the groceries. That particular trip for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leaving on Sunday, that particular trip only runs $100 for each member. So that's wow. pretty hard to beat <laughs> when you yeah. think about it. You get a kayak, yeah, your food, and, uh, and a camaraderie to boot. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I've never heard of a trip like that. And are you... Fishing from the kayaks, or are you using them more for transportation and getting out and waiting, or how does the fishing Oh, a little of both. A little of both. We use it definitely for transportation to get from one spot to another. If you were only to wade fish up near where the dam is, I mean, you would be shoulder to shoulder with other anglers. But having the kayak pulls you away from the crowd. You're able, some of the most fish that we catch are in deeper water where you wouldn't be able to wade fish. And so we're fishing in that deep set, those deep holes and long stretches of, of deep sections so that, you know, we're able to get to more fish for longer distances. But in some cases, we will get out and wade fish along some of the gravel bars. But probably for the most part, we're fishing right from the kayak. Mm-hmm. Now, I did get a question in here from Phil McCartney in uh, Kentucky. He says, Has your, did your club experience challenges during the covid packed pandemic? If so, how have you managed those challenges? Yes, that's a great question. So, yeah, unfortunately, we had a double whammy in 2020. We had this wonderful meeting site, Boomba's Pizza, right there in East Nashville. And it had a, a really great meeting room, you know, and all the, you know, the big TV on the wall where we can plug in for our presentations and I mean, it was perfect. The wait staff was great. The food was great. We couldn't have asked for better, and we were there for several years. And I don't know if you remember, but right before COVID, 
Nashville was hit was a really bad tornado. And that section of town, the tornado came through and completely wiped out our Boomba's pizza spot. And so oh, we didn't boy. have a meeting place. Number one, you know, we couldn't meet because of no meeting. It was destroyed. But then after that, with COVID, it was really difficult to meet. We did meet virtually a few times. But I'll be honest with you and say that we have not had regular monthly meetings since then. But what I did do, and I talked to a few members of the group to see what they thought, we decided since it was okay, or a lot of us felt like it was okay to be outside and still be together, but, you know, be outside, <laughs> that we would forego our meetings and we would just plan more trips. And so we had a lot of outings through 2020. Last year we had quite a few outings, and not just local outings, but actually outings at a distance. In fact, this may surprise you. I don't know. Some people might. Hopefully I don't get any shaming emails for this, but we were very careful. But in 2020, I advertised that we were going to go to Wyoming, which I would really like to talk about. But we ended up going to Cody, Wyoming, to fish on the Shoshone for an entire week. And uh, we stayed at the uh, Buffalo Bill Boy Scout camp. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But believe it or not, we had 33 of our club members <laughs> that went in the middle of August, COVID, really? and wow. um, and we loved every set. The club was fabulous as far as checking temperatures, and we did all the things we were supposed to do. But we had a blast. I guess the answer to the question is we coped with it outside, and we did a, mm-hmm. you know some virtual fly tying sessions together. But we really have not gotten back into our regular monthly meetings, which I've started oh. to hear some rumblings from members. They'd like to begin that again, and we probably will get back on track, find a new meeting place, and maybe just try to do that again uh, starting this fall. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think things are opening up. I know here in Colorado, just this past week, it, it, pretty much everything opened up without masks. And I know we just had the fly fishing show here in Denver, and that was held without masks and was heavily attended. So people are kind of... I think just chomping at the bit to to get back out <laughs> and and see people and fish and you know and, and socialize in the fly fishing world again. I think we've we've all had enough. So uh, hopefully you'll get your meetings back on track and everybody will oh, be back yes. in the groove. Yeah, yeah. I so. hope so. Well, you mentioned Colorado. I'll just tell you real quickly. We have been on multiple, multiple trips. I would love to just run down the list with you, but one in particular that we really enjoyed was we flew into Denver. There were probably maybe 16 or 18 of us that flew into Denver, and then we spent the night and then made our way over to the Amtrak station, and we took the California Zephyr all the way to Glenwood Springs. It's just like a six-hour train ride. But uh, we stayed at the Glenwood Springs Hotel and fished the Colorado, the frying pan, and the roaring fork, and then got back on the train and came back. And, you know, we got to experience a little bit of Denver. We got to experience the the little town of Glenwood Springs, which was wonderful, and then some really great fishing. And that's the other thing about the club. Not everybody in the club is a diehard fly fisherman. Some people Mm -hmm. like a little bit of fly fishing. 
They like a little bit of having a couple glasses of wine, and they like going out to dinner, and they like some shopping, and they like sightseeing. So, you know, when we go on the fly fishing trips, it's not necessarily all about how much time you spend on the river. It's about how much fun that you can have on this trip. Yeah. So some people fish one day and sightsee one day. and um, But we've made our way, I'll just very quickly from just off the top of my head, things, ones I can remember was um, we were on the, like I said, the Middle Provo in Salt Lake. We've been out to Montana in the Ennis area a couple of times. And, of course, Colorado. We love train trips, so one of our most fun trips that we've ever done was to fly out to Seattle, and then we took an overnight Amtrak into Whitefish, Montana, and fished the flathead. And then we took the train back to Portland and um, and flew back from Portland. And that was a really interesting trip because we got to do the overnight stay on the train and, and then wow. you know, just yeah. be right there in Glacier, Glacier Park. But um, yeah. anyway, we did yeah, that, that trip. We went out to Canada, did the Canada trip, fished the Bow River, and then up on the Olman and the, the Livingstone. Actually, Jen Ripple with Dunn Magazine is the one that yeah. turned me on to that trip. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was a terrific trip. <laughs> you should have seen the look on people's faces when you had that trip. We had 24 people that flew out to Canada for it. And uh, you should have seen how funny it looked to see 12 drift boats lined all the way around the hotel to pick us up. So oh, <laughs> that was a that was a neat picture. That was yeah, a neat yeah. picture. Good, yeah, yeah, I know Jen. I interviewed here on the show not uh well the, I guess this past year. Uh actually met her through uh we were doing some shows on Clubhouse for a while and she was one of the people that attended quite regularly. So I got to know her through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. One of the nicest uh, people you'll meet, and sharp as a tack, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a, a good sure. fly fisher, I hear. So I haven't fished with her, but uh, she seems to know her stuff. Yeah, Let's take a quick break here, yes, and um, and then we'll come right back and dig more into to what you've been up to. So hang yeah. tight, and we'll be right back. Enrico Puglisi Flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or you like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing, Internet Radio, and we're talking with Susan Brasher about the Music City Fly Girls. If you'd like to ask Susan a question, just go to our homepage and fill out that form, and we'll uh, try to get your question answered tonight on the show. Okay. You know, one thing I'm going to – we'll come back to some of these trips here in a minute. The one trip you said on the train, that's in Colorado – I know that track. <laughs> Probably is a different yeah. train, but that's a nice trip through the mountains because you just to get to see stuff that you don't get to see from the road, which is really oh, nice. Yeah. And and that train, you know how it left Denver and just before, right before it would start up the hill and go into the mountains. Mm-hmm. When I was in junior high school, we used to stand out there at the tracks, and there was a ski train on those tracks, and it'd stop in the middle of a field. We'd throw our skis on, and we'd ride it up to Winter Park 
go skiing for the day, get back on the train, and ride it back. And uh, our parents would pick us up at the, the parking lot. Where oh, nice. Down the middle of the field. <laughs> That's very so nice. I've got Good fond memory. memories Good memory. of that, yeah, that train. And, uh, and it must have been really cheap if we could afford it in, back then. I know it's not cheap now, but, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a wonderful ride up, you know, and especially in the wintertime, too, when you, you yes. see the snowy side of the Rockies, which is always nice. But, yeah, I know that train ride is, is, is good. Before we jump back into things, tell me about what you've been doing in the fly fishing world. I want you to tell people about your business and your instruction and, and so forth. So go right ahead yeah, and share sure. with us. Well, when I got into fly fishing, you know, I just fell in love with it. And, like, I don't know, anybody else that has a passion that eats away at them, uh, probably a lot of people have thought, I've got to quit my job and just do this full time. Well, that's the way I I felt about fly fishing, and I just thought about it for several years. I remember telling Joan when I was at the school uh, one evening, I said, you know, I really think I want to leave my engineering job and just focus on fly fishing, guiding and instruction. And she said, don't do it. <laughs> don't leave your day job. Don't do it. But, but I tell you what, when I ended up doing it, which was it will be seven years coming up this May, when I did it, she was one of the very first that congratulated me and popped open a bottle of champagne and celebrated. And that first Monday morning when I woke up and didn't go into my day job, the phone rang, and it was Joan and her husband, Ted, saying, we just wanted to call and welcome you to the second chapter of your life. And she was really uh-huh. excited for me, too. But anyway, since then, I started back in 2004, Southern Brookies Fly Fishing, and and I built my school kind of after, similar to what we do at the Wolf School. And even though my classes don't go for an entire weekend, I really have tailored them after what we teach there at the school. And mine are day classes. But I have a, a camp set up. I can I stay there most times throughout the summer or through the season and have a casting pond and a boat ramp where I can launch my drift boat and float up and down the Caney Fort. That's where I spend most of my time. But back in 2020, well, actually it was in 2019, I started to write a book on fly fishing. I was strongly encouraged by my good friend Ron Ellis from the Northern Kentucky Fly Fishers that I needed to write a book. And (laughs) reluctantly I gave in and said that I would do it. He introduced me to a publisher, and lo and behold, it was published in 2020-something I never, ever thought would happen. But, um, you know, the main reason I was reluctant to write one is I thought there are so many books on fly fishing that are already out there. What could I possibly say that would be of interest, you know, that someone hasn't already written? And it hit me that the book could actually encompass not only an instructional book as a how-to, but I could wrap it around some of the experiences with the trips with the Music City Fly Girls. So a lot of the the teaching that I do in the book is around, you know, our trip to the San Juan River or the Sierra Nevadas or fishing for peacock bass in Miami. You know, a lot of the lessons that we learned along the way I've just tried to capture in the book. And also we have found such great guides in the various places that we've gone, we found some terrific good-cost hotels and cabins and eating establishments and fly shops. And I just tried to capture those in the book as well. 
so people would have an idea, wow, that train trip sounds really neat. I wonder how she did that. And, well, I tell you, I tell you how I did it in, in the book, along with understanding leader and tippet and fly selection and line weights and you know, a lot of the things that I felt a little bit confused about when I first started or through the years of teaching students, the follow-up emails from class that they would ask, you know, I'm really confused about what a double taper line is versus the weight forward or level line. So I just took all those questions over the years and experiences and, and um, just tried to formulate them in a, in a real good how-to book that's more in summary form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, that's kind of what I've been up to. <laughs> what's your website address where people can find you? And does the club um, have a website seven, address as well? Yes, the clubs is you just Google Music City Fly Girls and, and you'll be able to find it. But it's uh, mcfg.com. But Southern Brookies is uh, southern like northern and brookies like a brook trout, southernbrookies.com. Okay, okay. And do you provide instruction there on a regular basis, periodically? What, what? Um, yep, through the year I have an availability calendar that's online okay. on my website. And I've had the good fortune of being able to teach some out in Wyoming. I'll be doing a workshop out there. The particular class workshop this year is already full, but I'm hoping to be able to do that in future years. And I would strongly encourage anyone that has, ever had a desire to fish in Wyoming to contact me and I would love to tell you I know we won't have time on the show tonight but I'd love to tell you about Camp Buffalo Bill and it's an incredible camp that you can go to it's a Boy Scout camp they end their Boy Scout sessions at the end of July but in August it's open up for weekly sessions where you can stay very low cost at the camp your meals are included your transportation to many of the waterways around that area. The Shoshone is right behind your cabin, and it's an $800 deal. And so if you're looking for a place to fish for a whole week, your meals, your lodgings included at a very reasonable price, then shoot me a note, and I'll tell you all about it <laughs> because it's, okay. it's, a, it's a real hidden gem. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you say you'll tell you all about it, you mean a trip that you're organizing or for other people to organize? Well, our Music City Fly Girls, our Music City Fly Girls will be there the second week. I know that there is some space still for the women's only week, and that's in August. But there are a couple of open spaces, I know, the final week of August. And it's not something I personally, except for the workshop and my trip with the Fly Girls, I organize that. But the camp, it's really great. You just call the camp and you register, and they'll pick you up at the airport. You fly into Cody, take you to the camp, and then from there, they'll feed you. You can walk out the back end of your your cabin. You're right on the Shoshone River, and, and they also offer trips in the van if you want to go into Yellowstone and fish, fish in the Lamar Valley, you know, or take a trip over and fish the Clark's Fork for brook trout. But I'll be happy to share information, not anything yeah. that I'm leading, but just the fact that, you know, it's a great, it's just a great camp. And I hmm. can, I, I'll just yeah. tell you, I gave a, a presentation to the Middle Tennessee fly fishers on it not too long ago, and 12 of the members signed up the very next day. So they must have been intrigued. <laughs> Cause, so well, you don't this have to is have, my third year back. So you don't have to have an organized group to go up there. You could just have 
two people go up right. and sign yep. up or something. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Huh. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of brought up a question I had. Is the Music City Fly Girls only girls? <laughs> Is it a girls only club? Do you? And yes, do you there take, are. Uh, well, there um, are some. There are many husbands that have begged to be part of the Fly Girls, but you know, it's, and it's not that we aren't interested in hanging out with the guys. It's just that our trips have lent themselves so well to it being all women because you know we bunk together and and all. Yeah. But there may be a time, you know, at some of our we'll have a Christmas party and we have. There's been a couple of outings where the husbands have been invited along, but for the most part, our trips are all women. But mm-hmm. we may have a trip or two in the future where if the guys want to come along, we can do that. But over the years, we haven't. And a lot mm-hmm. of the fellows have really encouraged their wives to get out and go. That yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're trying yeah. to kick them out of the house. I just think they're trying to say, go have a good time with your friends. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And it's you don't have to do everything together. It's I know many couples that both fly fish, and then I know many couples who only one of the, the, the partners fly fish. Right. So, yeah, and sometimes fly fishing is a good way to get away from your partner. <laughs> so for a few yes. days or a few hours. You know, <laughs> I think and, they think that. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, either way, it's a, you know works out well. So yeah, how many people usually go on these long distance trips? And do you have a maximum number well, that you put together? You know, it it depends. Like on our trip, we have a, a trip planned this year, and we're going to be going into Maine. And so we fly into Bangor, and we'll be fishing on the Kennebec River, and there's only so many guides in that area, and we've booked every uh-huh. one of them. And so on that particular trip, we only have 12 people going. I typically don't like to put a maximum number. I mean, I have put maximums before, and then... I just hate to tell somebody, oh, the trip's full, you can't go. And so we usually try to squeeze somebody in even if they sleep on the couch. But we typically, it'll be anywhere, I would say, between 12 and maybe 20. We've had trips that were unusual, like Wyoming, where we had 33, and we had 24 to Canada. But typically it runs in like the, I don't know, 15 to 18, 20 range, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If people out of your area wanted to go on your women-only trip, would that be possible? I mean, if they're not a member of your club but would like to join in the... Well, they could not just to come in and go, only because the club subsidizes, you know, part of, like, the groceries and things. And that's... So we put our $60 is due at the beginning of the year. We put it in the bank, and, you know, and we just kind of carve out different pieces of that to supply Mm -hmm. groceries and... So if we had people flying in from all over to go on trips with us, it wouldn't go very far. So now yeah, you really need yeah. to be a Music City Fly Girl <laughs> to, okay, to be able okay. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we'd love to hear uh, from you. We'd love to have you come and float the Katy Fork and um, and visit with us. And we always, we would love to have visitors from out of town and not just so we could tell them about, hey, here's some ideas. Maybe you want to start an all-women's group in your neck of the where, woods yeah, where you could bring yeah. other people in. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's really the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping that this show will do is to kind of inspire women around the, the country or the world to set these things up on their own and get it going. And, and they have hopefully you as a resource to help them out going forward. So, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I would love yeah. anybody that ever wanted some ideas or 
well, number one, it's in the book. <laughs> I wrote a whole chapter on just that. But if they wanted to talk a little bit more about it, I would definitely share ideas, no question. Yeah, yeah. Let's take another quick break, and we'll come right back and talk some more. So hang tight, uh, okay. Susan, and we'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Susan Thrasher about the Music City Fly Girls. If you'd like to ask a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, and send us your question, and we'll get it answered on the show tonight. So, you know, you talked about some of your trips. Do they have, other than a a new place to go do they have a purpose from a learning standpoint you know do you have goals like is it more a destination or is it more you know i want to go to northern washington or montana to fish for bull trout or how, how do yeah, you come I, up with I your ideas so. i think a little bit probably a little bit of both i mean we definitely mm -hmm. like going to new places although we do have annual trips that we've been going back to for years like we always go to the white river in Arkansas every ah. fall. We've done that forever. <laughs> well, um, you know, South Holston here in East Tennessee, you know, we do the South Holston. But we like to venture out. This will be our first time going to Maine. And, you know, we're specifically going, we want to find some brook trout in Maine. We went specifically to Miami to fish for peacock bass. There have been trips like our trip coming up in April on the Doe River that's one there are a lot of people that really want to understand and learn more about Euronymphy. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'll probably, before we go on the Doe River, I'll probably do one of my Euronymph workshops for some of the groups. And that's the other thing about the club is that we try to do a little bit of instructional type things. I'm doing um, a workshop for people in March one weekend afternoon where any club member that wants to gather around the pond and tweak their casting a little bit. Uh, let's make sure that your roll cast and your casting loops are in order before you take another trip. We offer that kind of thing for the club as well. But specifically, we're, it's really just trying to get together and have a good time and kind of learn as we get out. That's the best way you're going to learn anything is by doing it. <laughs> you know, just get in the water and, and just do it. And there's yeah. so many of the members that are experienced, they don't mind occasionally taking somebody under their belt and because we all kind of remembered where we were when we first started and there's nothing like putting your arm around somebody and saying here I'm going to show you how to tie on this this fly or I'm going to show you how to tie in a, a dry dropper or a streamer and just to get you started 
because there's nothing miserable if you're standing there, you see everybody around catching fish. But our fly girls are like, we just, we walk over to another fly girl and here, here, take one of these flies. This is what's working. <laughs> so that's what we yeah. found that camaraderie, that that's what it's all about. Yeah, and it's, as we know, you know, after you, you can be in fly fishing your whole life, and there's always something to learn, you know, or always something to Constant. improve on. I mean, Constant I just, learning. I, just yes. I just got back from Campeche, Mexico, fishing for baby tarpon, and, and I've never done that before. And it was probably the most challenging casting situation that I've ever been in because it was like going up these rivers in the mangroves, and there's mangrove roots everywhere in the water, and there's a canopy of trees. It's like a tunnel. And I, you know, I don't roll cast all that often. And boy, did I need to roll cast in there. <laughs> I mean, there yes. were places there's no room to back cast or, or do anything. And uh, so I realized, hmm, I, I need to brush up on this roll casting yeah. uh, because it was super important. And luckily, I was fishing with somebody that helped me out. As many years as I've been fishing, I'm always ready to learn something new and improve my skills and so it's it's always nice to have those people around you yeah to do that yeah 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 thinking back on some of these trips what are some of the trips that really stood out for you and why tell us about the trip i guess special memories are things that just really are burned kind of in my mind i guess one trip i truly loved was our trip to the sierra nevadas one of our core members charlie Charlie Hale, her son lived out there and had wanted us to come out. So a big group of us, I want to say we had, oh gosh, at least a dozen, maybe 15 that flew out. And we stayed near Crowley Lake and fished Hot Creek and the Owens. And there was another little creek called Rock Creek. And this one in particular stood out because there was water that was flowing over just this frozen, just a big bank of snow. And so the water that was coming in, I mean, it was beautiful just looking up into the hillside there and seeing this cascading waterfall coming out over the snow. But the water was absolutely frigid. And we were standing out. We were catching brook trout after brook trout. Nobody wanted to leave. And I looked over at one of our fly girls, Marjorie Rice, who's as tiny as a stick. I mean, just little thing. And I looked at her, and she, her lips were purple. But she was not getting out of the river because she was catching so many brook trout. And I don't know, that's just one of those memories that just sticks out because it was just one fish after another. And we were laughing, and it was just a really, really fun time. But another trip that sticks out probably is going to Canada. There are several people that hadn't ever had to pull out a passport or get a passport, you know, because they Hmm. hadn't been overseas. And so Canada is kind of like a first step kind of overseas, I guess. But that was yeah. a neat trip just to, to be able to go. And the funniest thing, the first night we went out for a dinner, somebody had recommended at the hotel. So we went out to dinner at this location, and we walked in. There were Johnny Cash pictures all over the walls and stuff about Tennessee. I was like, wow, we come all the way from Tennessee to Calgary uh, in Canada. <laughs> and we're in yeah. what looks like a Tennessee honky tonk, but it really turned out to be <laughs> turned out to be a fun time. So you went so, into Calgary. I don't know. Those where were a couple. You, yeah, where did you fish out of Calgary? We fished the Bow River that the runs Bow, right yeah. through town. Yeah, yep. so we floated the Bow River a couple of days, but also went up into 
and fished on the Oman and um, a tributary that runs into it, the Livingston. And there were several that went up and did those wade trips, and that was some of my favorite. I really enjoy Euro-nymphing, and, and it was just the perfect spot for that. So we really enjoyed just being in Canada. And then the highlight, I thought one of the highlights of the trip, other than the fishing, was our final day there. We went into Banff and then drove up to Chateau Lake Louise, and we had a high tea uh, right there in the hotel overlooking this beautiful lake and the glacier yeah. that's coming down into the lake. I mean, it was just the perfect way to, to end the trip. Yeah, nice. So we've nice. got some oh, great, found... great memories. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Tons of them. we got a couple of random questions that came in here. Shane in Bristol, Tennessee says, what do you like most about the South Holston River? <laughs> well, you'd probably shoot me if I didn't say, well, my guide, Shane, of course. Oh, is it Shane? <laughs> so Shane, uh, <laughs> Shane he's a, a wonderful guide for Soho and for the Soho. And we got to fish together last fall. And I guess probably the thing I like best about South Holston, it's not too far away from my parents, which they live right here in Bristol. And so anytime I can come home, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump over there over there to the river, but that is probably, somebody I think asked the question before that what are some of the great rivers in Tennessee to fish, and by far I would say it's the South Holston. I mean, the brown trout, the dry flies that come off that you can use in the springtime, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing, an amazing river, and so, yeah, definitely if people are out there wanting to, to plan a trip to Tennessee, Definitely one of your stops should be the South Holston River, for sure. Yeah, Carl Munkel in, um, in Nashville, Tennessee, wrote in that question asking about favorite spots. What other places other than South Holston are, do you like or oh, would you yeah, send sure. people do to fish? Well, a lot of tailwater. So, of course, the Caney Fork. And with the South Holston, that is an amazing river because it's a naturally reproducing river. The Caney Fork. And some of the others I'll tell you about are more of, you know, they're stocked rivers. There are some amazing holdover fish, but they really have trouble reproducing. I'm hoping at some point in time things can change around like they did on the White River and then also, you know, on the South Holson to make it to where those trout can reproduce. But the Caney Fork River, that's a tailwater down below Center Hill Dam, just about an hour outside of Nashville. So if anybody's traveling to Nashville for work, that would be a really great river to get out on. The Elk River, I already mentioned, that's near Lynchburg, Tennessee, probably an hour, 15 minutes or so outside of Nashville. And then the Clinch River, which is closer to Knoxville, Tennessee. So those are a few of the tailwaters that are around. The Obie, which is probably maybe an hour, 45 minutes outside of Nashville, but all our trout waters and are a lot of fun and scenic as well. Yeah, sounds nice, sounds nice. We did have a question come in from Phil McCartney on Kentucky about castings. Being that you're a casting instructor, <laughs> we'll throw a couple of casting questions at you. Sure. It seems there are lots of, he says, it seems there are lots of different casting styles being taught. What do you find are the principles that are most impactful in helping students improve their casting? Well, that is absolutely true. There's definitely some different styles, but if you look in all the styles, there are a lot of things that are core, you know, your your stops. And to me, if I had to pick 
probably one thing that I think is the absolute most important of your casting in a basic cast, it would probably be the back cast stop. If you, I mean, when I'm teaching, that's one of the main things that I want to see people come to a very crisp, abrupt stop on their back cast. And hmm. and if you can do that, it's going to solve quite a few of your problems. So often I see new casters that just kind of, almost like you're cruising through a stop sign. <laughs> they just kind of slowly, kind of a wimpy stop, and then come forward a little too quickly. And that can cause all kinds of stuff with tailing loops. And But I do find that that's one of the, the most important parts of the cast is the back cast stop. What are the different styles that are out there? I really am not aware well, you know, of, of stylistic type things. Yeah. I think if you, well, I am in the, the Joan Wolf camp of casting, and she has, she has really focused in the real physics into casting and, and looking at all of the movements of what your thumb does, what your fingers do in the rotation of your hand, having absolute no greater than 45-degree angle when you're coming up to a stop and not breaking your wrist any farther back than 45 degrees, where other styles may have you opening up, you know, that wrist to as wide as 90 degrees. And so I think just probably the best way to get in and really look at some side-by-side styles, like a Lefty Cray style or, you know, the Joan Wolf style, I think just looking at those and comparing those, and because some people can maybe make a combination of styles, and mm-hmm. come up with what's going to fit your own, whether you're a powerful caster or have a little bit more of a soft kind of a finesse touch. You may take a little pieces and parts of each person's style. Yeah, yeah. I was watching some videos the other day, and it was all about the breaking of the wrist, you know, and how, mm-hmm. like you were saying, you know, I mean, in past days it was you never break your wrist. Nowadays it's Oh, you need to break your wrist, you know. <laughs> it's like uh, yes. so uh right. yeah, I get and your and, movement and I, movement of your uh, elbow too, you know, a rotation yeah. of your shoulder, moving that elbow up and down. We really, you know, leading with that elbow, we we really teach that quite a bit as well and focus on all those little individual movements and the angle between your forearm and and your bicep and the angle between your wrist and your rod grip and your and your forearm. So just keeping watching those, not holding the rod with like a desk grip. <laughs> That's another big thing that I see in some new casters that are holding it so tightly instead of just mm. gently holding it. Anyway, mm. a lot of little things that we can go through. And sometimes you can watch, I can watch a caster not somebody necessarily that I'm teaching, but maybe somebody I see at a distance on the river, and I'll see two or three little things, and I'll think in my mind, oh, if I just had a second <laughs> with that person, <laughs> I could tell them change this, this, and this. Which well, reminds well, me, free. I've got to tell this. Yeah, I was going to say, feel free if you, quick, me on, uh, if you see me yeah, on the river. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, be, be sure and stop, and don't, don't hesitate. Yeah. Well, yeah, what were you yes, going to say? Right, right. I'll have to tell this story on Joan, and this was a story that her husband, Ted, had told us, that they were flying somewhere to a show, and there was a, a fella sitting at the window, and Joan was in the middle, and Ted was on the, the aisle. 
and he had gotten up to go back to get a drink or to the restroom or something. But when he came back, Joan was holding the fellow's arm and showing him how to cast, (laughs) (laughs) raising his elbow and lowering the elbow and snapping the wrist and giving a good power step. So I think she kind of instilled that in me as a teacher that you're looking to see how you can help people, even if they're sitting next to you on the airplane. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great way to uh, to end. One question, though, touchy here. I've heard that it's easier to teach women how to cast than it is men. Is that true? You know, I think yes, and only because it's more, it's because of the power and guys are strong and they're powerful and they think that they're going to be able to really get that line out there the harder that they punch it and they throw it. And for some reason, I when I try to discuss or describe about the finesse of laying out the line, women seem to grasp that a lot quicker than guys. They just think, oh, the harder I cast it, the farther it's going to go. But if I say the word, let's finesse it. <laughs> or like Joan will say sometimes when she's teaching how to double haul, it, with your left hand, you're giving back the line like you're, you have a bow that's running over violin strings. And there are some people that grasp that right away, and then mm-hmm. others, like the guys that are just more in tune, I think, with the uh, the powerful approach. But so, yeah. you know, in that case. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I was just, yeah, wondering from a women's instruction, you know, instructor's point of view, if you found that the same. But that's basically everything you've said I've, I have heard that, you know, that's mm-hmm. the way that, that it is, is men tend to use too much power when they don't actually need it. They like. But they are definitely teachable. They are definitely. They are teachable. teachable. We are really. You sure? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no question I don't know. about it. It seems to take forever. At least that's what my partner Julie says. <laughs> it's not. It's not about casting. It's just about training. Okay. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Good. Well, um, unfortunately, we got to wrap it up here, Susan, but hang tight with me here because we're going to give away a few things, including your book. So uh, stick with me a few more minutes, and we'll wrap things up and call it a night. So just take a quick break here. The Ugly Bug Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, has been serving fly fishers in Wyoming around the world since 1983. Their selection of the the top-of-the-line gear and a huge assortment of flies is one of the best in the land. All products are available in their fly shop and online And if you're looking for advice, just give them a call, and their expert professional staff will help you with whatever you need. Visit Ugly Bug Fly Shop today at UglyBugFlyShop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. Again, UglyBugShop.com or call them at 866-845-9284. Just a quick reminder tonight, before you leave our website, be sure to take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find the link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what do you think of the show? Just click on the link, leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away our prizes. The winners of our drawings are randomly selected from a show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show. You don't want to miss out, miss your chance to the great prizes that we have to offer. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with the information on how to receive your prize. 
So first, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Again, flyfishersinternational.org. So let me uh, fire up the database here and press the Go button and see who comes up. Looks like Arthur Vins, Arthur Vins in New Hampshire. So congratulations, Arthur, on your new membership to the Fly Fishers International. And now we'll give away one year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can find out more about at amatobooks.com, a great publisher with a lot of books and periodicals on fly fishing. So check them out. And our winner for that is George Lester in Florida. So George, thanks for registering and congratulations on winning that one year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So now we're going to give away Susan's book and Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide. And great book. She's put a lot of work into this book. Lots of great pictures. Lots of group pictures in this book, Susan. <laughs> so you know you, you guys were doing your trips. That's great. I think that's great. And we do have a link on our homepage to Susan's book, too. If you don't win tonight, you can always buy her book through there or at Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Here we go. The question is going to be, there were two important women in Susan's life when she first got started. What were those two women's names? Two women that were most important in her life. One should be really easy, so the other one is going to be the, the tougher one. But she is very well known as well and been in the fly fishing industry since. I don't know, long time. <laughs> so, so Susan, we're waiting now for some responses. It takes a second to delay before they actually hear me out there. And, and then, of course, they have to type and take their hands off the fly tying vice or whatever they're doing. And let's see if we can't get an answer. So maybe the question's too hard. Okay, Bob Younger says, Joan Wolf, yes, that's fine. Jen, yes, that was that was somebody that Susan mentioned, but not uh, one of the original women that got her started. So you got half of it, right? Now everybody just needs to get the other half, right? Give a hint, real women. There you go. You just got a hint, real women. Who's associated with real women? And if you're really smart, you could probably just Google that. <laughs> Another hint. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt McGraw says, Joan Wolfman, Kim Ripple. No, it's not Kim Ripple. It's Jen Ripple, but she's not the one I'm looking for either. <laughs> but for some reason, Jen stood in there. So we might have to. Uh... Okay, I'm going to give this just 30 seconds more. I think I made it too hard, Susan. So... <laughs> I think I made it too hard. We're not getting the answers in here. So um, <laughs> Matt McGraw, it looks like Matt has never won with us. Bob, you've won a couple times, so I'm going to give this to Matt McGraw since he, both of you had one at Jen, one had Ripple in there. But we'll give this to Matt tonight <laughs> and give Susan's book, Thrasher's Fly Fishing Guide, to Matt McGraw. So Matt, hey, just send in that same box your shipping address so that Susan can send out the book to you, and we'll get that out to you, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it and learn a bunch from Susan in that book. 
And so anyway, hey. Lori Ann Murphy. Oh, and yeah. I Ann forgot Murphy. to. <laughs> An excellent you, guide. <laughs> yeah. The, the other half of that was Lori Ann Murphy's. And Lori Ann fishes up in, uh, yeah, Idaho it is, right, Susan? And also she guides down in Florida as well. She's a good saltwater yes, lady as well. Exact. Yeah, yeah. Well, Susan, thank you so much for being on with us tonight and sharing uh, your experiences with uh, Music City Fly Girls. And that was lots of fun to talk about something a little bit different. And uh, thanks for sharing all your knowledge with us tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. Enjoyed the talk. Yeah. Okay, great. And love to have you again sometime. Hopefully, all of you have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link on the top line menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 350 shows. You can search by keyword or keyword phrase or use the menu system there for different topics. So check it out. I'm sure you'll find lots of shows that will be highly educational for you, teach you about fly fishing. On our next broadcast on March 16th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to interview Russ Schneider, and our topic for the show will be Fly Fishing Glacier National Park. There you go, Susan, another place you could go. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Russ has worked as a fishing, hiking, and rafting guide in Glacier for more than 25 years. He will be sharing his intimate knowledge of this fly fisher's paradise. Join us to learn more about the park and how to enjoy all it has to offer fly fishers. Be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just click on Add to Calendar link on our homepage right below Russ's photo there, and you'll be all set, and you won't miss the show. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lease Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, and Enrico Puglisi Flies and Ugly Bug Fly Shop for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.